This is the Life Church Podcast. It's Christmas, and I tell you what, it's, it's that time of the year we get excited. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve, so I want to encourage you to be here tomorrow night, 4 p.m. or 5.30 p.m. It's going to be a, a great service, and you won't want to miss it. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies uh, it's not a traditional Christmas movie, but it is one of my favorites, come, become one of my favorites, is the movie Elf. Anybody ever seen the movie Elf? Yeah. We love Elf at home. We watch it every year. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, it's the story of an orphan child who accidentally is basically taken by Santa back to the North Pole, and, and you know, he's, he's adopted by an elf, grows up in the North Pole with elves, and discovers that he's really... There's something wrong because he's different than all the other elves, you know, and uh, it's, you got to watch it. It's, it's hilarious. But um, it's, uh, it's the story of a, 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 an elf called Buddy, and uh, he's played by Will Ferrell. And there's this part of the movie where, where Buddy uh, is, gets a job at Gimbel's department store, and uh, he's working there as an elf. It's, I guess it's a department store in New York City. He's working there as an elf, and, and there's some wonderful news that are, that's announced. Take a look at this. Oh, wow! What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. You'll want to watch that movie. It's hilarious. I'm sorry for teasing you if you've not seen the movie before. But, I mean, that's kind of what we expect, right, around Christmas. That kind of exuberance, that kind of excitement, you know, and maybe not necessarily around the figure, the person of Santa, but, you know, this just exciting kind of thing. Yes, Santa's here. I saw it last night. My wife showed me a video uh, on YouTube of this little boy who, uh, who gets a banana for Christmas. Have you seen that? It's gone viral, evidently, you know. And this kid opens up this Christmas present, and there's a, like a, an actual banana in it. And I don't know, he's like two years old or three years old, something like that. And he's just like, a banana, a banana. He's so excited about the banana. He even says to his parents, we're going to take this banana home. You know, he's so, so excited. And I think that's sort of the idea that we, we think about Christmas, right? That in all of the busyness and all of the, the, the routine of our lives, that there's this moment where we just, that we're in awe, we're in wonder of this idea of Christmas. It's really what it's all about. But as I watched that clip, um, there's two words that kind of come to mind as I think about Christmas, uh, as I think about this season in general. And so two words are wonder, wander, and wonder. They kind of sound alike. They're kind of almost spell alike, uh, but they have very different meanings. The definition for wander is to walk around in an aimless way, to move without purpose or, or direction. 
that's kind of characterized by those workers there at Gimbel's department store. You're just running around, you know, they're doing all kinds of busyness. I think this really characterizes many of us as well. We do a lot of wandering in life. In fact, you might even say to yourself right now, man, it's already Christmas and I don't even know where 2018 went. It just flew by. You went from day to day, from week to week to month to month, and it just seemed like it just escaped us altogether, and you wonder, what have I left behind? What have I done of, of any kind of worth? Is there any purpose? Is there any vision for, for my future, for my life? It's easy to get caught up in life and just wander, right? Wonder, on the other hand, has a different definition. It means to marvel, to be amazed by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. Now, we live in a world where we've lost a lot of the wonder of Christmas, especially. In many, many ways, we've become numb to the wonder of Christmas. In fact, I think that a lot of our aimless wandering can be resolved by just recapturing the wonder of Christmas. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 and kind of try to discover that in the story, the wonder of Christmas. And, and maybe in the process, as, as we look at this story, you will slow down enough, enough just to pause and say, okay, God, I see the greatness of what you've done for us, for all of us collectively, but what you've done for me as well, personally, because the fact is that we are restless wanderers. We live in a culture, in a society, and maybe this is even your story, that where you wander from relationship to relationship looking for love and never really finding it. You wander from house to house to house to house looking for a home and you don't find it. From screen to screen, never really feeling connected. And I think what we're missing is wonder. W-O-N-D-R-E-E-R. Wonder. So in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born, and that birth is, announcement is made to a bunch of shepherds. And it's kind of interesting that the announcement is made to shepherds, surprising that this group is actually in the story, because for that time period, the shepherd was really the lowest category on the, on the, on the ladder. They were like the, the despised. They were the, the least, I mean, they were considered ceremonially unclean. They weren't even allowed to, to go to the temple. And yet this is a group that God intentionally and very personally reveals the news about the coming Messiah. The shepherds, in many ways, were like professional wanderers. They were doing their, their life, you know, which was to be out with sheep, watching sheep. They were in the middle of the mundane of their life when these angels appear and announce the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, you're familiar, I'm sure you're very familiar with the story I'm about to read. I'd like to read it through just so we can be refreshed on it, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now notice it says living out in the fields. It wasn't there, like they, were, they weren't like doing the night shift and then going home. They were actually living out in the fields. Shepherds had a reputation of being kind of dirty and smelly, which... That would make sense if you're living for months on end out in, the, out in the fields. But to have a reputation of being dirty and smelly when everybody was dirty and smelly, that was, you must have really, you must have really been dirty and smelly, you know? And that was their reputation. That's who they were, and they were living outdoors. Verse 9 it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you, a sign that this Messiah has been born. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone, had, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, the shepherds are now, they've experienced this angelic presence, right? Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, he, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. That, again, would be another word that we can use to explain wonder. We're filled with wonder. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this amazing thing happens to these shepherds, and they experience this, the wonderful news of the birth of the Savior. Now, we celebrate Christmas 2,000 years later, and I think the challenge for us is for us to read this story and hear this story and feel it afresh. We don't. It's just another story. We've heard the story so much that it's hard to hear it as something fresh and new. So what I want to do is I want to talk about, identify basically three enemies to wonder. Three enemies of wonder that cause us to not really wonder around this Christmas story and kind of help us to, to see the story once again with, with fresh eyes. The first enemy is this, familiarity. Familiarity. Right? You have heard this story. You've studied. Some of you in this room have actually studied this story. You know everything about it. You've heard it so often. If you grew up in the West, it's likely that you, you grew up hearing the story very regularly from a very small child. You heard it in church, possibly. Maybe it was Charlie Brown Christmas is where you actually uh, uh, heard the story for the first time. It's a familiar story to you. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I don't really like preaching Christmas messages because it's so familiar. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about before I talk about it. <laughs> you studied it. In fact, you might even come up and say, hey, you said something there, it was off, and you weren't even right because you probably even know more about it than I do. At least you feel like you do, right? And so I've been doing this for, I don't know, 30 years now, and I've been on Christmas, talking about Christmas, preaching about Christmas in some form of, or another. I've tried to make it fresh. I've even, you know, tried to be creative. You know, maybe, maybe how, do, how do the donkeys feel about the birth of Christ? You know what I mean? Just trying to somehow or another just make it fresh for us so that we can find the wonder of Christmas, and yet it's so difficult for us to see that. See, the challenge is that it's so familiar that it loses its wonder. And this is true almost of everything, I don't know how many of you have fly on a regular basis, like take an airplane, I don't know, once a month or, or so. Yeah, so a bunch of you do. And, and you know, the first time you got on an airplane, you're like, I mean, you were like, 
touching everything, doing the buzzers, you know, calling the, whatever. You were just, you were just amazed, you know, you're getting on an airplane. But after you've done it five or six times, eh, it's just an airplane. You know, you're like sitting out there just waiting to get on this plane and you just get on there, you just close the, shutter, the, the, the window shutter thing and you just take a nap. You're about to get on a, on a, on a metal tube that's going to fly through the air at 500 miles per hour, 30,000 over the feet and you just, eh, it's whatever. Kind of lose the wonder of it, right? It's really our challenge. Mike Iaconelli in his book, Dangerous Wonder, he says this. The greatest threat to Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus but are no longer astonished and amazed at what he has done for them. I think he's right on. The greatest threat to Christianity is not a liberal agenda out there. The greatest threat to Christianity is not a bunch of unbelievers out there. The greatest threat to Christianity is that we have lost the wonder of what God has done for us. And so my prayer is that God would do for us what he did for those early shepherds. That they were right in the middle of their, of their routine, of their very mundane job. Their job wasn't very exciting. And in breaks Christmas. In breaks the Messiah. Right? Now, these shepherds were just shepherds. I mean, watching sheep is not that exciting. Right? Like, I, like sheep by themselves is not that of an exciting animal. Although I did meet some exciting sheep once. There's a guy that used to uh, attend our church, Mike Crippen. Uh, he took us out to his, I was out at his farm one day, and, and he had, I, I had never heard of these fainting sheep. You ever heard of fainting sheep? Some of you have, some of you haven't. I, I grew up in a city where there were no sheep ever, so I just had never heard of fainting sheep. And he took me up to these fainting sheep, and he, he said, yeah, they're fainting sheep. I said, why are they called fainting sheep? Watch this. And he just stood by their little pen, and he clapped real loud, and they, like, froze. <laughs> you know, like, God, that's kind of cruel. That's like, that's not a nice, a good, that's a cruel kind of defense mechanism. Like a lion pops out and the defense mechanism is to freeze. Yeah, anyways. So sheep, but sheep generally are just not that exciting. I've taken my kids to zoo many, zoos many times and they've never walked in and said, hey, let's go see the sheep. <laughs> I don't even know if there are sheep at zoos, right? I mean, there's bird watching clubs. I don't think there's any sheep watching clubs. And if you have a friend that says to you, hey, let's go watch some sheep, well, you might need some new friends. I don't know. But, um, but that's what these guys were. These were sheep watchers. Professional, professional sheep watchers. That's what these guys were. That was their job. And in the middle of this very ordinary, very predictable kind of occupation, Jesus shows up and he changes the course of their life. Luke 2.15 says this, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They make it personal. The shepherds say, they get this message, and to them it's now it's a personal thing. Let's go for ourselves. Let's look at this. It says the word see there. That means to examine, to explore, to ponder, to really go in and dive in deep. That's what these shepherds do. They leave the ordinary. They leave the busyness of their life. They leave the, the mundane of their life to basically explore the depth of, of, of the birth of Christ. It takes intentionality. 
it takes pausing for a second. And believe me, we're in this culture that we can get wrapped up around the Christmas season into all the stuff that's going on, all the festivities, the food that needs to be cooked, the presents that need to be bought. We can just get wrapped up in all of that that we forget why we're even doing all of this stuff. We need to pause. We need to be intentional. We need to kind of escape that rat race and come and see the wonder of Christmas. I think another enemy to wonder is the word discouragement. Um, it's easy during this time of year for there to be a lot of discouragement. I mean, you could have 11 months of maybe so-so job, your income is not that great, and then you hit December, and all of a sudden all these worries pop up. I've got to buy presents. I've got to get food. I've got to do this. I've got to see family. And it's so easy to just feel discouraged because there's so much that needs to be done. Or maybe it's about family relationships. That maybe there's that dysfunctional person in your family or that, that, that brother or sister that really hurts you and you really don't talk to them, but Christmas rolls around and now you've got to see them face-to-face at a party somewhere. And you feel discouraged. I wouldn't be surprised if the shepherds might have felt that way as well. I mean, they were, again, on the bottom rung of the employment scale. Nobody aspired to be a shepherd. In fact, a shepherd was, not only was he considered unclean, couldn't go into the temple, he was also considered uh, unworthy or incapable, not trustworthy, of actually testifying in court. So they could never even testify in court because they were just considered like, you know, they'll never tell the truth. So nobody really aspired, nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Maybe, maybe you relate to this. Maybe as you think about your life, maybe whether it's been for the last year, you think about for many years, cumulatively speaking, you think about your life and you think, where's my life going? What am I really accomplishing in life? What, what's, what's good about it? Maybe it's your employment. Maybe you just, you just don't like your job at all. Or maybe you feel stuck in a marriage and it's just weighing you down. And maybe you feel discouraged like, like these shepherds might have felt. Well, this Christmas, part of experiencing the wonder and somehow escaping from discouragement is to take ourselves out of the center of, our, of the story. Because that's really the problem with discouragement, really. It's about me focusing in on myself. And everything's going on around me, but it's me. It's me that's the problem here. It's me that has the issues. It's me. And really, Christmas is not about me. The center of the story is really Christ. And so maybe that's what we need to do. We need to take us out of the center of the story. These shepherds, despite their humble occupation, the angels appear to them and told, hey, there's great news for you. They didn't say, well, hold on a second. Uh, before you give me all that great news, what are you going to do about my job? What are you going to do about my lowly, low-income job here? In fact, my boss doesn't even pay me. He just feeds me. It's not what they did. They got the news and they left their cares, they left their discouragement, they left their issues aside and they pursued the wonder of Christmas. It's good news of great joy. I think another enemy of wonder is cynicism. Cynicism. Now, it's one thing to be a skeptic. In fact, I kind of like a good skeptic, you know, a person who, 
who asks good questions, a person who doesn't swallow every assumption out there, who really explores those assumptions and makes sure that, that before they jump on board with something, they've actually examined the thing. I like a good skeptic, but a cynic is a little bit different. A cynic is a person who kind of makes fun of the enthusiasm of other people. A cynic is one who you know, might feel intellectually superior, but really what they're doing is that they're looking, they're looking at everything through a negative lens. That's really what a cynic does. And so you, you know who you are if you're here, right? Sorry if I'm pointing you out. But um, you, know, you get angry when somebody posts a video of puppies on Facebook because it's too sentimental, right? Or, or bothers you that in that romantic comedy you just watched the the, the, the couple finally get together at the end of the, at the movie because, well, it's just so predictable. And you're just cynical about that. One of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, things, though, as a pastor, I've, I've experienced this, in fact, is to see a cynic become a believer. That's, that's really cool to see. Now, I'm, to be honest with you, people have come up to me and they say, hey, will you pray for my husband? Will you pray for my wife? And, and I'll, I'll say, yeah, sure. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even know that a person will ever receive it. They're so cynical. They're so against everything, it seems like, right? And so I have my, my doubts or my questions, but then to see how they come to faith in Christ is just amazing. In fact, there's some of you here right now. You're sitting here right now. You're worshiping God, but you would, you, if you looked at your life, you say, 10 years ago, I wouldn't be here. Ten years ago, I was critical of all that stuff. Ten years ago, I thought that was crazy. I think some of those who have crossed that barrier from cynicism to belief, they reach this point where it becomes personal. That's what causes it to happen. It becomes personal for them. In other words, when you're, at a, when you're cynical, you're at a distance watching something, and you're critical of it, you're skeptical, you don't have... You know, you're just at a distance, right? But when, when the story hits your life, when it's you who loses your job, when it's you who's going through the divorce, when it's you that experienced some kind of tragedy, suddenly, suddenly, that story that we were very familiar with, we might have been critical of, suddenly it becomes very personal to us, Right? That's really the challenge for you and me is to really make Christmas personal. We can look at all of this and be just treated at a distance. Like it just, it's out there. Eh, I don't know if I believe everything, but it's personal. And I get it. I mean, Christmas really is celebrated in community. It's something that we hope that you're, you'll be here tomorrow as we do Christmas Eve service. We want that to be a community event. It's something that, that Christ did for all of us. He, he is good news of great joy for all people, but you are one of those all people. It's personal. What Christ did is for you. It's deeply personal. I think sometimes that's what we're missing when, when we're looking at Christmas and it's not really personal for us. Uh, years ago, um, before my, my wife was pregnant with our, our first son, she signed us up for Lamaze classes. Anybody know what Lamaze classes? Anybody taking Lamaze classes? Yeah, usually you do it after your, yeah, for your first child, and then you don't do it again for probably some obvious reasons. But um, <clears throat> she signed us up. She was enthusiastic about it. I was less enthusiastic about it. I was like, this is kind of weird. We're sitting in this circle, you know, on the floor 
with a bunch of other couples, and there's a person teaching about stuff, and I wasn't, like I said, I just was like there, um, because, well, I don't think I had a choice, right? <laughs> she's sitting right there, just, she's looking at me with a smile on her face, like, yeah, you were going to be there no matter what. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I was not super eager, you know, we just, we just did, you know, we we're learning things like breathing techniques and I think, honestly, I think the reason why Chrissy was so excited, not, I don't know if she was so excited, but, but the reason why she went to it, because she would get the free back, back rubs, you know, from me, you know, it's like, this is what you do when they're feeling these pains, and so you do that, you know, and guys, we didn't get to experience that, we just did it, but we didn't get, anyways, uh, yeah, so you see, I'm a little bit skeptical and a little bit cynical about this, uh, this Lamaze class thing, I, uh, I wasn't really all in, but then there's this moment that... Um, in the middle of the night, we're lying in bed and Christy pops up and she says, my water broke. And all of a sudden, man, th- like this, what, I don't remember. What did, I, what, did they, what did they teach us in Lamaze? I don't remember what they taught us in Lamaze, you know? And so and, and she, she was calm. I, was not, I wasn't so calm. She was calm. She just got up. And she's like, uh, we're an hour away from the hospital. And she's like, I think I'm going to go take a shower. Her water broke. That, that was her. She was all calm, you know. I'm, I'm lying. I'm, I'm like crazy. I'm like running around the house, you know. We had a, a new Honda Civic that we had just bought. It had cloth seats. So I'm like, oh, no, her water broke. Cloth seats. And so I'm like looking for trash bags, you know, put all the cloth seats. <laughs> yeah, we're just, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys. And so, uh, so sure, sure enough, we make it to the hospital. We get there, and she's in labor, and she's going through all that, you know, all that stuff. And I'm trying to remember Lamaze in my head, and it's just... You know, it's just not going well, and, you know, she's experiencing a lot of pain. There's this moment where the pain kind of subsides a little bit, and she kind of motions me, and I come up, come up to her, and like, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm trying to be very compassionate. She's in a lot of pain, and she looks at me, and she goes, Rich, your breath stinks. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm out of here then. I'm, all, I'm not going to help anymore. <laughs> So December 15, 1988, at 9.30 a.m., my son Jonathan is born. And um, I think I got a picture of it right there. Yep, there he is. Somebody at first service came up to me and said, hey, so you, like, you went to the hospital in a suit and tie? I'm like, no, that's a few days later. I actually wanted to put something that was more related to the hospital, but to be very honest, there was nothing flattering for us. And I know that there's a few pictures I could have taken that Christy would have been like, I'm going to kill you when you get home if I had shown those. But, uh, yep, I, my son was born, and I was a new dad. I was in awe. I was amazed. Cried a little bit. And the reason why is because now it was personal. It wasn't a class that I took it wasn't somebody else's story of having babies like we saw in the Lamaze class. It was my wife. It was my son. It was personal. Now, for many of us, we take the story of Jesus, and it's just really another story. Yeah, it's special. Yeah, we'll take some time out in December to read the story and maybe sing some special songs about it. But the reality is it's, it's just a distant story. And I think the challenge for you and I is to make that story personal, to make it our story. The birth of Jesus changes everything. It gives you hope. It gives you life. It gives you grace. 
it is very, very personal. And so in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all of the craziness of Christmas, the challenge is to stop for a second and say, okay, Jesus, what have you done for me? Let me ponder that. Let me walk out of this service this morning in wonder and amazement of how you have given your life for me. What I want to do to finish up this, this service this morning is I'm going to take a few minutes to read a little bit of, of the story of the Christmas story, but not strictly out of the Bible. It's just a story that kind of written them together here. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because what I need you to do is to visualize it a little bit. Close your eyes as I'm reading the story. Just as I'm reading, just let those images hit your mind and start thinking about it a little bit. Okay, so everybody close their eyes right, right now. Here's one was, and, and, and just listen. It's that morning. Do you see the stable? It's just behind the inn. It's not very big. It's really a shed only. You duck inside, and as you do, you almost immediately take in the odor. Farm animals, hay, and the shepherds. If you listen, you can hear an unusual combination of sounds. You hear sheep and goats, and you hear a baby. The baby is God in the flesh. You glance over and you notice that his first night is spent in a feeding trough. And then there's Joseph. He's a new father. He's a strong carpenter. He has rough hands that's used to cutting down trees for making furniture with. You watch as he gently scoops up the baby Jesus and walks towards Mary. And look at Mary. She seems so young. She's just a teenager, really. She looks exhausted and she lies down, but there's also a smile of satisfaction as the baby is laid on her chest. She looks up at you and motions you to come closer. So you step forward and you see Jesus. Joseph gives you a little bit of hand sanitizer. You look closely at him. He's a baby. Yet he has come to give his life as a ransom for yours. You touch his brow and you think one day a crown of thorns will be jammed on his head. You touch his little cheeks and you know that one day some foul tobacco-chewing Roman soldier will spit on his face. You look at his tiny shoulders and you know that someday they will carry the cross that he will carry and every sin that you have ever committed will be forgiven. You look at his tiny hands. Those hands will do wonderful things. They will touch lepers. They will heal children. They will make blinded eyes see again. And those hands will also be nailed to a cross. Pause for a moment. And think of that moment. And remember, yes, He came for all the world, but he also came for you. Let's all stand. Father, forgive us, Lord, for, for losing the wonder of Christmas. 
Forgive us, Lord, for making Christmas so much about presents and food and traveling and vacations and all of that, and lights and trees, Santa and all those things. We don't think any of that stuff is wrong or evil or bad, but Father, forgive us for putting that at the center of Christmas and not seeing that you are the center of Christmas. And specifically, Lord, how you gave your life for us. Jesus, you came for the whole world, but you came for me. You gave your life for me. And so today, Father, we surrender our hearts once again to you. Whether believers in this room who have already done this before, we surrender our hearts to you, Jesus. And we put you at the center of this whole story. And Father, for those that are here this morning that may be skeptic or maybe cynics, may have lost the whole idea of what Christmas is all about, Father, we also surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name. This is the Life Church Podcast.